Well, good morning. So I know our numbers are down, but I also know that none of the coals are here. Um, some new faces, some folks that I don't recognize, so uh, I'm just going to put out a plea. If you don't know me, uh, grab me sometime this morning. I'd like to meet you. <laughs> All right. It's sort of one of those weird things. I've been here for 20... Got to do math now. Twenty-three years, I guess, and uh, I'm used to knowing everybody. So I'm glad to see some folks coming that that I don't know. Welcome. So this morning we're going to continue our series of lessons that we've been looking at uh, since December when Brother Keith started teaching them. And the series is, is titled Facing Goliath, and you uh, probably know by now that the series is really about daring to engage in the spiritual battle that's raging all around us. Um, you're in it, whether or not you think you are, you're in it. Uh, so the lessons are really encouragement to uh, engage in it and fight with the Lord's army. That's really what, what it's about. Usually when we're, we're talking about Goliath, a lot of times the, the lessons tend to be about facing strongholds or giants in your life. And, and, and this is, I guess you could say this is sort of like that, but the lessons are really just more of an encourage, encouragement to make you think about the way that you serve God. Uh, to think a little deeper as to what should you be doing, how should you be doing it, things like that. The lesson today uh, is the fourth lesson, and I think Brother Kelly's passing out the, the notes now. Fourth lesson is titled, Dare to be a Leader. And we're going to be looking at uh, some of the things the Bible has to say about David and his mighty men. The title is uh, something that, that when I first went through the lesson, I, when I first saw the title, I'm like, oh good, I want to teach that. And then I went through the lesson, I'm like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. I'm not sure I like that. <laughs> Then I kind of went, well, as long as I can have a few comments in the beginning to clarify, <laughs> which I can, unless Pastor Chris pulls me down or something. Um, I, I, I'm going to talk about leadership today, and I'm also going to talk about followership. Uh, again, you can tell by the title of the lesson, it's about daring to be a leader. And to me, what that makes some people do is say, well, well I'm not a leader in the church, so you're going to turn off and not listen, maybe. I don't know. I don't know your, what you're thinking right now. But I, I just wanted to have a few uh, comments about leadership before we get into it. And, and that uh, absolutely, everyone, I'm sure, probably recognizes that, that uh, not everyone is, a, is, is intended to be a leader. Now, more of you than you think are probably leaders, because if you have anyone following you, including your child, uh, if you've not... The Sunday schools are, teachers are all out somewhere else, but they're a good example of if, if you're a teacher, maybe even not in the church, maybe you, you help other people learn things like I do uh, with finances, things like that, um, you're a leader. There's a lot of roles that we have uh, in being leaders. Um, and also, many times, leaders tend to be followers just at a different level, right? Uh, I used the example last week of talking about the fact that um, a few years ago, Pastor Cole appointed me to be the vice president of the corporation. So I guess in that sense, you could say I'm a leader in the church. I teach a Sunday school class. 
Um, but I'm a follower. I'm following Pastor Cole's vision, soon to be Pastor Chris's vision. So I'm both. Okay? And one of the things that you've got to understand about leadership is that it is, uh, there's a, it's an overused term in business, business world, but uh, the term synergy. There's a synergy between leaders and followers. Okay? Synergy means nothing more than the two together can do more than they could apart. Okay? So that's what it means. And, and there's definitely a synergy between leaders and followers, but that synergy is far more powerful if the leaders understand their role and their followers' role and vice versa. The followers understand the leader's role and their own role as followers. And the concepts, and we're not going to go deep into this, but this is the things that I wanted to bring out because I want you to think about these things as we go through the lesson. The concepts of authority and responsibility, where does authority lie and what responsibility goes with that authority is one of the most important things to understand about leadership. That's because in our human interactions, you know where we get into trouble? It's when the leader who has authority but chooses not to accept the responsibility piece that goes with it, it causes problems with all of his followers. It's when the followers try to usurp the authority that's really the leader's and tries to do things around him that aren't following his vision. That's why with Pastor Cole as the, the man of God that's in charge of this church for now, we're following him. He's following Christ. Again, it's going to be the same when Pastor Chris uh, becomes our pastor in April. <clears throat> so I just want you to understand that, that this lesson is for everybody, whether you're a leader or a follower. Uh, and whether you think you're a leader or not, you, you might be. Whether you're a follower or not, you should be. And the thing that you have to do is understand that if you're a follower in a certain role, you should understand what your leader's authority and responsibility is. If you're a leader in some role, you should understand what authority you have delegated and to the followers and what their role, their responsibilities are there. Because it's knowing those things that keeps us from doing this. <laughs> okay? So... I'm going to stop there and um, say that as far as this lesson goes, I'm not really sure how far I'm going to get. <laughs> I know I told Pastor Chris, look, I'm going to show you how to get through these things in one week. That, that, that's probably not going to happen. Um, although I do think uh, I'll probably get through the first couple of points, and then I'll give you the, the third. So, so Pastor Chris, I believe, is going to teach next week um, the fifth lesson in this series, I think. Um, so I'll at least give you the fill-ins so that you can understand. You can go home and study a little bit, read the scriptures uh, to fill it, finish up this lesson if I don't get there. All right? So let's, uh, let's dive into this. We have a lot of scripture reading. That's one of the reasons that we're not going to really get too far today is there's a lot of scripture reading, which to me is best. Okay? <clears throat> so when it comes to uh, David and his mighty men... Um, they really are a great illustration of what we refer to as a win-win situation. Okay? David needed his mighty men. And the mighty men needed David. So you see that there's a synergy there, where I just used a second ago, and there's a greatest illustration of a win-win. They needed each other and they had each other. They both won. So the mighty men, uh, it's a group of men that was um, numbered about 400 people to start with, 
Um, they were people that you probably wouldn't have guessed were going to become mighty men. Um, they're not people, we'll read about them in a second, they're not people that a leader would necessarily choose to be his followers, okay? The way we look at it today. <clears throat> but as with David himself, the Lord looketh on the heart. And God used the mighty men, making them legendary in their time, and great examples for us today. So we're going to look at some details of some of the things that they did and what we can do to be like them. Okay. So the men, what they did was that they served David throughout his entire life. And they first came to him when he was in trouble. So that's an important thing to, to notice. <clears throat> um, they stayed with him for many years, and they stayed through the ups and downs, and they stayed through the victories and the, the defeats. Um, so the overview that we're going to look at here is just a few of the scriptures around what it is that, that they did. But uh, it's really so that we can see a few things that we can apply to ourselves, hopefully, whether you're a leader or follower or both. Okay? So let's get into the scriptures. Open your Bibles, or you can follow along on your notes, but uh, I always prefer to read from the, the Bible itself <laughs> for two reasons. I think it's good practice to have my Bible in my hand. And secondly, the print is much bigger here than it is on that. <laughs> so turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22. That's where we're going to start. What I'm going to do is read the scriptures. I'm going to read uh, most of the scriptures that we're going to use today uh, first. So we're, we're just going to read for a little bit here. So pay close attention to David and his mighty men. And pay close attention to some of the things that I prefaced the, the message with. <clears throat> 1 Samuel, chapter 22, in verse number 1. David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave Adullam. And when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented, gathered themselves unto him. And he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Turn over, if you would, to 2 Samuel, so the next book in the Bible, and go to chapter 23. 2 Samuel 23. We'll start in verse 1. Now these be the last words of David. David, the son of Jesse, said, and the man who was raised up on high, the anointed of God of Jacob, and the sweet psalmist of Israel said, The Spirit of the Lord spake by me, and his word was in my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me, He that ruleth over men must be just, ruling in the fear of God. Great principle for any leaders out there. Do that. Rule justly and in the fear of God. Verse 4. And he shall be as the light of the morning, when the sun riseth, even a morning without clouds, as the tender grass springing out of the earth, by clear shining after rain. Although my house be not so with God, yet he hath made me, uh, made with me an everlasting covenant, ordered in all things, and sure. For this is all my salvation and all my desire, although he maketh, make it not to grow. Skip down to verse number 8, and we're going to continue all the way down to verse number 22, so... Settle in. <laughs> These be the names of the mighty men. So now we see the mighty men uh, coming on the scene. The mighty men whom David had, 
The Tacmonite sat, sat in the seat, chief among the captains. The name was Adino the Esnite. The same was Adino the Esnite. Uh, he lift up his spear against 800, whom he slew at one time. And after him was Eliezer, the son of Dodo the Ahohite, one of the three mighty men with David, when they defied the Philistines that were there gathered together to battle. And the men of Israel were gone away. He arose and smote the Philistines until his hand was weary, and his hand clave under the sword, and the Lord wrought a great victory that day. And the people returned after him only to spoil. And after him was Shammah, the son of Agi, the Hararite. And the Philistines were gathered together into a troop, where was a piece of ground full of lentils, and the people fled from the Philistines. But he stood in the midst of the ground and defended it and slew the Philistines, and the Lord wrought a great victory. Verse 13, And three of the, th- the thirty chief went down and came to David in the harvest time uh, under the cave of Adullam. And the troop of the Philistines pitched in the valley of Rephaim, and David was then in an hold, and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David longed and said, Oh, that one would give me drink of the water of the well of Bethlehem, which is by the gate. And the three mighty men break through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. These things did these three mighty men. And Abishai, the brother of Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was chief among three. And he lifted up his spear against three hundred and slew them, and had the name among three. Was he not most honorable of all three? Uh, of three? Therefore he was their captain. Howbeit he attained not unto the first three. And Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, the son of a valiant man of Kabzeel, who had done many acts, he slew two lion-like men of Moab. He went down also and slew a lion in the midst of a pit in time of snow. And he slew an Egyptian, a goodly man. And the Egyptian had a spear in his hand, but he went down to him with a staff and plucked the spear out of the Egyptian's hand and slew him with his own spear. These things did Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and had the name among three mighty men. So the first thing I want you to notice, and, well, let me say this before I get into the first point. I want you to remember, that one of the points I made earlier, was that David needed the mighty men, and the men, the mighty men needed David. Okay? It's very important to understand these points. The first one being this, this is the first fill-in for you. Under number one, the mighty men and their attraction to their leader. A-T-T-R-A-C-T-I-O-N. Their attraction to their leader. So you might recall our previous lesson, which was about daring to serve the king, as David was called by Saul to serve him as king, right? And David did that, and he behaved himself wisely. You might remember that from last week's lesson. Well, by the time we get to this lesson, we find uh, we're a little further down the road in history, and things are different, okay? So since the previous lesson, King Saul's become jealous of David's wise behavior, and especially jealous of the admiration that David had from the people. Remember, Saul was the king. David was not yet. 
So now the very king that, who, that had made David his servant is on a manhunt seeking to kill David. He's got hundreds of men with him chasing David around trying to kill him. <clears throat> we find David, as we start this lesson, hiding from King Saul in the cave of Dullam. That's, that's where they are. He's a fugitive on the run. David has been forsaken by almost everyone at this point. But in verse 1, back in Samuel, uh, 1 Samuel 22, if you just want to look on your notes, you can see it there, where we started reading the scriptures there. 1 Samuel 22, in verse 1, uh, we see that his brethren and his father ho- father's house came to his aid. It said, David therefore departed thence and escaped to the cave of Dullam. And when his, br- when his brethren and all his father's house heard it, they went down thither to him. And everyone that was in distress, and everyone that was in debt, and everyone that was discontented gathered themselves unto him, and he became a captain over them, and there were with him about 400 men. Great lesson for us. When we see others who are a part of God's family, who are in distress, who are under attack, that's not time... I can do this if I'm not careful. It's not time to sit back and go, oh, this will be interesting to watch. Right? That's not what we should be doing. <clears throat> Rather, we ought to see the need and help our brethren. God's people need to stick together. You, I hope you all understand it's no accident <clears throat> that Pastor Chris preached on unity for, I believe, two months in the fall. Did you? Does anybody remember? And I'm, I'm going to... I'm going to make it hard on you. Our missionary, Justin Dye, my son-in-law, is watching right this moment. My watch keeps go- my Apple watch keeps going off. I imagine he's texting me. <laughs> I don't know what he's saying. I'm not going to look. My wife's got my phone back there, so you know, Justin. <laughs> Do you remember what he taught on? He was in this pulpit a couple times two weeks ago. Anybody remember what he taught on? It was the enemies of unity and the actions of unity. It's not an accident that Pastor Chris was led to preach on, to teach on that. Justin came back from PNG, taught on that. Why? Because God's people need to stick together in unity. Okay. So those who came to David's aid banded together and became his mighty men. So then the question becomes, what attracted them to David? Why did they go to David at this particular point, even when he was a fugitive? You know, if you supported a fugitive that the king was trying to kill, you're now the king's enemy, right? (laughs) That's not necessarily where everybody wants to be. So let's look at the sub-point. What attracted them? Well, letter A under their attraction to their leader is it was based on their need, N E E D. Some of the most productive people in history who had the greatest victories were rejected by others. So in the the formation of the United States of America, when the colonies were forming, you may or may not know that the colony of Georgia was actually founded by released convicts, rejected by the society in Europe. They were released and they came over and started Georgia. That explains a lot. (laughs) My brother lives there, so if he ever watches this. Same time in history, many of the indentured servants who who bought their way to America had nothing more than the spirit to give uh, this country a new try. They they just kind of said, I I just need a new start. They'd been rejected by their society. They were servants. They tried to get away from that and start a new life here. 
<clears throat> there's a lot of great inventors in history who were ridiculed throughout all of their research and development and the things they tried to do to invent things. Um, you know, Jesus said in Luke 4.24, no prophet is accepted in his own country. <clears throat> These men who had fled to David might be described as the off-scouring of the house of Jesse. Right? They were his brethren. <clears throat> they were distressed men. They were debtors. They were discontented. The kind of folks that we might describe as an unhappy, unfortunate bunch of misfits. I don't know if you realize, this is who the mighty men were. This is how it started. Right? <clears throat> as always, God uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And just let me give you, this is, a, this is an illustration that's in the lesson, uh, but I'm just going to share it with you. I've heard it several times. Some of you probably have too. Several preachers have used this, but I like it. <clears throat> Especially if you're one of the kind of people that feels like, well, God can't use me. Sure, sure he can. Why? Because you have a need, just like David's mighty men. So here's the illustration. So, someone once said this. I have no idea who it was. Noah was a drunkard. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was the less attractive sister. Joseph was abused. Moses had a stuttering problem. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were young. David had an affair and was a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. <laughs> Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Lazarus was dead. Right? All of them had a need. All of them had a need for a leader. And they got it. But they all did great things for God. That's the important part. Throughout the Bible and history, we find people with great needs doing great things. These examples teach us that God uses people with deficiencies to show his sufficiency. He uses people in situations where he can receive the glory. Right? So we don't always have to like it if God is glorified. Okay? So the attraction of the mighty men to their leader was based on their need. And letter B in your notes there, it was based on their leader's sufficiency. S-U-F-F-I-C-I. E-N-C-Y. Although rejected by society, these men knew that David could and would take care of them and would make sure that their needs were met. Now, our success in the Christian walk is based on the sufficiency of our leader. Not necessarily Pastor Cole, although he's a, he's a, he's a good leader. Not necessarily Pastor Chris. What I'm referring to here is Jesus. Understand that Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. And because of that, we can be confident that we're going to finish our race too, as long as we're following his leadership. I'm going to go to Hebrews 12 if you want to follow me there. Hebrews 12. Let's <clears throat> read the first couple verses here. 
Hebrews 12 and verse 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with, with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Another great lesson that we learned from 1 Samuel 22, where we started reading the scriptures this morning, is that these needy members of David's family and and the acquaintances uh, knew where to find the help. They knew that David was a leader, right? They knew that Saul had appointed him unto many things. Remember, he had increasing roles in his life as he was serving the king. And as Christians, we, we need to understand that we can find our strength in the Lord and we may be able to find others or help others find strength as well. Not in us, but in the Lord. First Peter 5, 7 says, Casting all your care upon him, the Lord, for he careth for you. Second Corinthians twelve nine says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see it? You see the attraction to a leader because of your need and because of his sufficiency. We definitely have needs. Christ certainly is sufficient. Point number two. The mighty men and their loyalty to their leader. L-O-Y-A-L-T-Y. Loyalty is an ingredient that is necessary both on the part of the leader and the follower. It's, it's both ways. While many leaders and followers were to poor being dis, or called disloyal, some are disloyal, and I agree with this statement uh, because I've seen this mostly, most leaders and followers that are thought to be disloyal really fall into the category of neutrality. Not, they're not loyal or disloyal. True loyalty, like love, is avert. It's an action. You've all probably studied a lot, maybe not everybody, but most of you have studied 1 Corinthians 13 about charity, about love. And you go through that chapter and you see that love is action. It's doing and doing and doing and doing. It's not a feeling. It's doing. Loyalty is the same. It's not a feeling. Pastor Chris will be my pastor. I will be loyal to him. Not just because I like him. Because it's the right thing. And I'm going to do everything I can to serve God under his direction, okay? as the man that reports to Christ in, in this church, if you will. <clears throat> A loyal supporter of godly authority pleases God and follows the precepts of his word. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. That's, that's a very important verse for us as church members. This is talking about them that have the rule over you. So there's a couple of ways to look at this, but this definitely includes your pastor. How are you supposed to treat your pastor? Well, you are to obey them. You are to submit yourselves. That's how you treat your pastor. You may recall that there was a... There was a uh, it was a men's conference over at uh, Pastor Garrett Hall's church this summer 
I preached a message there. It wasn't my message. It was the message from Pastor Cole's ordination service back in 1983. I took that message, kind of modified it a little bit and made a, a, a similar message out of it. Pastor Cole brought my notes from that and preached it here. You might remember that. Uh, and he was doing it really to help Pastor Chris, I think, as far as teaching us how to treat our pastor. In that message, one of the things I said is this, what this very verse says, which is about submitting yourselves and obeying them. So, if your pastor asks you to do something, do it. I said this in this message. Don't, you, you don't have to pray about it. You can count on the fact that he's been praying about it before he ever asked you to do anything. <laughs> so just do it. If he asks you to not do something or stop doing something, stop it. Right? Obey him. Submit to him as your pastor. That's how we're supposed to treat our leaders. That is how you be a follower. You want your pastor, for example, to be a good leader? Be a great follower. Don't fight him. This is where that concept of authority and responsibility comes in. Pastor Chris will be the authority at this church here soon. It's all his responsibility. As it says here, he watches for our souls. He's the man that's going to answer for what this church does and how it's done. Not you. You're going to answer for what you do and how you do it. He's going to answer for the church as a whole someday. That responsibility comes from the authority, God-given authority for the pastor. So we have to be loyal to him. He also needs to be loyal back, right? <laughs> for example, I don't suggest, as you, he would never do this, but as you learn about the terrible things that I do, don't stand here and tell everybody else, <laughs> right? That's not being loyal to me, right? Unless, of course, it's something that you need to throw me out of the church for some reason, then, then you need to do it from here. If I'm unwilling to repent of, of a sin, for example, right? That, that's, that's what the Bible says we're supposed to do. Under that point, under the loyalty to your leader, letter A, the, the first subpoint there, is that they served willingly. We need to be willing to serve willingly. W I L L I N G L Y. They serve willingly. It said in 2 Samuel 23 16, and we've read this, it says, uh, And the three mighty men broke through the host of the Philistines and drew water out of the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink thereof, but poured it out unto the Lord. The loyal followers are willing to go to great lengths to fulfill the desires of the leader, as the leader, in, in our case of being a church, the leader is led by God. As with the proverbial genie in the bottle, their attitude is, your wish is my command. <clears throat> of course, in our case with our pastor, unless it happens to be unscriptural. Right? Outside of that, your wish is my command. Pastor, I, I keep telling him, I'm going to do anything I can to help you. So I don't, I'm not sure what that is all the time, but <laughs> you let me know. <clears throat> David here had merely to wish for a drink from, from the well in Bethlehem. That was his childhood home. Uh, and three of his mighty men literally risked their lives and broke through a Philistine garrison to get it for him. You know, sometimes when we read the Bible, I, I, I accuse you all of doing this because I do it. Um, we read the Bible and we have a different picture of what it was really like. I kind of always pictured this in the Bible of these guys kind of sneaking up and getting this water and running away. Uh, or kind of like, uh, you know, a bunch of 
uh, teenage guys playing capture the flag or something. That's not what this was. This was a Philistine garrison. They would gladly kill anybody that got anywhere near the gate of Bethlehem that was a Hebrew. <laughs> you want to go get your leader a drink of water? Putting your life in peril? That's what these guys did. Just because he was just kind of, boy, I would love to have a drink of the well of Bethlehem, at the gate of Bethlehem. They broke through the Philistine garrison to get it for him. Remember that God looks primarily on their heart, and a loyal and willing heart counts for a lot in God's sight. The writer of Second Kings paid tribute to the great woman and her husband who served willingly by providing, out of their humble means, a place of refreshment for the prophet Elisha. In the book of Mark, we learn of the poor widow who couldn't give much, just two mites. She served willingly and outgave many who could have contributed much more money. 2 Corinthians 8.12 says, For if there be first a willing mind, it is accepted according to that a man hath, not according to that he hath not. Give what you have. Be willing to give it. There was a letter that was once sent to David Livingston. Most of you know that he was a missionary to Africa. The letter said this, Have you found a good road to where you are? If so, we want to know how to send other men to join you. Livingston's reply was, If you have men who will come only if there's a good road, I don't want them. I want those who will come if there's no road at all. Is that your heart? Are you that willing? Letter B. Their loyalty to their leader, they served willingly and they served wholeheartedly. I think I'll probably get through this one and then I'll give you the end real quick. <clears throat> wholeheartedly, W-H-O-L-E-H-E-A-R-T-E-D-L-Y. Second Samuel thirteen seventeen says, says this, And he said, Be it far from me, O Lord, that I should do this. Is not this the blood of the men that went in jeopardy of their lives? Therefore he would not drink it. This is the water from the well of Bethlehem. These things did these, might three, these three mighty men. David states that these men went in jeopardy of their lives. What a great illustration of doing something with their whole heart. Despite the difficulty of the, the task, as I mentioned, this was a Philistine garrison that was there defending that well. The mighty men were truly willing to give their all. Realize that David had not actually asked anyone to get him a drink. He didn't ask anybody to do that. He was merely wishing out loud, kind of like the way you would on one of those hot August days. I really kind of like some ice cream. <laughs> you know, It was like that. And then some guys were willing to risk their lives to go do it for him. With these men who loved David so much, there was no tepid response, and isn't, aren't we guilty of this? Well, hope that works out for you. Right? <clears throat> Even an indirect request was all they needed. All they, all they once again eagerly took the opportunity to show their loyalty and the regard for him. Are we that willing to serve our Lord with all of our hearts? And if we think he wants us to do something, are we ready, willing, and able? to get right at it. Go do it. The Lord makes it clear. 
that he has disdain for those who are lukewarm in their commitment to him. Most of you might be familiar with the, the passages in Revelation where there are letters to the churches. The church of Laodicea, in Revelation 3.16, this is what's said to them. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. That's Jesus talking. He's going to spew the church of Laodicea out of his mouth because they're lukewarm. Now, I've, I've heard this preached different ways. I don't know which way it is. I don't know when you spew things out of your mouth. I, I've done it when it, it's really bad and I hate it. I, I also do it when I'm sick. <laughs> I don't know what this does to God. If it makes him sick or he just it's really distasteful and he hates it. But it's, it's one of the two. That's what he thinks of lukewarmness. Okay? <clears throat> we can make God sick. We can make him spew us out of his mouth, our, our deeds, if, if we are uh, foot draggers, if we're half-hearted in serving him. He hates that. Jesus himself served his father wholeheartedly. As a 12-year-old boy, Jesus was eager to work for his father. He said, how is it that you sought me? Remember he, when, when he, he asked Joseph and Mary that when they finally found him in the temple after a three-day search looking for him all through Jerusalem. And he said, wist ye not, which, which means don't, don't you know, can't you see that I need to be, uh, or I must be about my father's business. Long before the beginning of his earthly ministry, Jesus was willing-hearted and wholehearted for God. <clears throat> Remember Samuel's challenge to Israel and realize that it expresses God's challenge to us today. 1 Samuel 12, 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Certainly the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the under-shepherds, the pastors of our local churches, are in great need of, and are certainly most appreciative of, those who will follow their leadership willingly and wholeheartedly. Now, unfortunately, I don't have time to really go through these, but just in a couple of minutes, I'll give you the rest of these fill-ins. You have the notes. You can read the scriptures. Point number three is about the mighty men and their mightiness for their leader. Okay? <clears throat> M-I-G-H-T-I-N-E-S-S. Uh, in, in one of the previous studies that Keith did, uh, we studied his victory, David's victory, over Goliath. David was a, a mighty man in his own right. Okay? We saw David do that which was impossible only with the help of God. <clears throat> this mighty man, mighty in God and mighty for God, was able to attract other mighty men to his cause. Okay? And unfortunately, we don't have time to read this, but in, uh, in the first point A, under number three, they were valiant. These men that David was able to attract to his cause, they were valiant, V-A-L-I-A-N-T. The scripture there in, in uh, 2 Samuel 21 is the story of the other four giants that these men slew. These were the, the, these were the uh, four that were born to the giant in Gath. Okay? The other four giants. And a lot of people didn't know that there were so many giants around. They, they were. And, they, and these men uh, took them out. The, the, what they did was they, they won victories uh, that were just incredible. But they did actually happen. And as David had done years before, these men slew these giants who were armed similarly to Goliath, 
I mean, big, big people. If you ever read the size of Goliath, it's, it's a scary thing. I don't think any of us would want to try and go against them without God for sure. <clears throat> they weren't intimidated by the size of these giants. And they just went out to serve their leader and slew him. Now there's, there's a... I'm, I'm going to have to skip that. I'm, I'm just going to be out of time. Uh, let's just move on to um, let's move on to B. So letter A, they were. I have to have both sets of notes here. Um, they were valiant, and letter B, they were victorious. V i c t o r i u s. <clears throat> Again, in Second Samuel 23, I'm not going to read the passage, but what you read about in that passage is about two more of David's might, mighty men, Eliezer and Shammah, whose deeds were pointed out specifically in that passage. The important thing to get here is that the word victory, we did read this earlier, the, the word victory occurs twice in that packet, passage of Scripture. It's vital to notice there that the source of the victory, according to verses 10 and 12, it says this twice, the Lord wrought a great victory. It was the Lord. The Lord wrought a great victory. So just as these men, just as Shama in this case, uh, you might be alone, you might be outnumbered, you might be distressed, but the Lord can bring a great victory in, in and through you, in your life. Again, in this passage, as for Eliezer, the Bible records that although his hand was weary, his hand clave under the sword, he didn't drop it, he held onto it all the tighter, and again, the Lord wrought a great victory. So when you get tired... You hear this a lot, but it, you really need to think about this because when you get tired, <laughs> you don't think about this. <laughs> we need to. When you get tired, don't quit. Just trust the Lord. Keep fighting the battle. God has promised a victory to all those who endure. Isaiah 41 and 31, verse uh, uh, 31, and I'll end with this. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary, and they shall walk and not faint. So let's not be afraid to be leaders. Let's not afraid to be afraid to be good followers. Let's do both well with the Lord's help. Okay, I'm going to have to end there because I'm almost out of time. Let's pray and I'm done. Father, we just want to thank you, Lord, again for the Bible. Thank you for this lesson. Uh, Lord, we know that in this, uh, this day, uh, you need mighty men in your church, in your army. Lord, we, we need to follow and be loyal to our leaders. Uh, we need to follow what, uh, what you've given us to do. Lord, we need your help to do it. We can't do it without you. Uh, and we just pray that you would uh, help us to do great and mighty things. Lord, and we pray that you would get the glory for it. Lord, we pray that you would help our church, help us to be uh, unified, help us to be a strong church, help us to have an effect on the communities around us and around the world, Lord, through our missionaries. Lord, we just thank you for this time. I pray now that you would bless the service to follow. Uh, Lord, thank you for these folks and their attentiveness. I just pray that it would be something that would help them and help me as well. Uh, we thank you now in Jesus' name. Amen.